Sharks Hate Jazz. That's the name of the song that you're listening to right now. It's from the band Adios Beaches. It's from their Adios Beaches demos album, which you can get at adiosbeaches.bandcamp.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can check it out when you're done listening to episode 499. Yeah, 499 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the show. This week, we've got a lot to get to. We've got Dr. Tongue here, ready for a new look at, well, all things collectible monsters. It's the last installment for him for the year because we're getting into the busy season for the toy man himself. So it's a special one. And not just because of that, but because he also talks about something that's near and dear to my heart. So we've got that coming up. Of course, Mark Matsky is here with another beta capsule review talking about another excellent episode of Ultra Q. And then Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland is here as well, where he takes a look at a very specific issue of that important magazine. The bulk of this episode, though, we've got a new voice we're throwing into the mix. We are welcoming to the show brand new podcaster, but longtime monster kid, Robert Kelly. He is the man behind the newly launched Record All Monsters podcast. And, you know, I wanted to shine a little light on him. I really like what he's doing. I really appreciate his point of view and his take and what he's bringing to the potosphere. So I wanted to have him here on the show. We made it happen pretty quickly, and I'm so glad we did because I had a great time chatting with him about our top three favorite kaiju movies that don't feature Godzilla or Gamera. That's right. Kaiju films without the big G, they exist. And we're going to talk about some of our favorites here in a little bit. Before we get into that, though, I want to go ahead and just let everybody know that this weekend in the Monster Kid Movie Club, we're going to be showing Circus of Fear, Fear Chamber, The Greed of William Hart, an episode or two of One Step Beyond, and who knows what else. You're just going to have to check out the Monster Kid Movie Club at monsterkidmovie.club on Saturday on Twitch, or just look up Monster Kid Radio on Twitch. The pre-show starts at 11 a.m. Pacific, and then the movies themselves start right around noon, and it usually goes for at least seven or eight hours. Drop in for a little bit, drop in for the whole thing. There's a live chat, there are free movies. What better way to spend the weekend than watching a bunch of monster movies with your monster friends? Yeah, that's what I mean. Your monster kid friends over in the Monster Kid Movie Club. So that's coming up. Also, next week is episode 500. That's kind of a big deal for us here at Monster Kid Radio. In fact, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit in this episode. There's a lot to get to. The three segments, the incredibly cool conversation with Robert Kelly. Let's just get into it right now. The world's mightiest monster meets the world's mightiest menace. King Kong, bigger, stronger, more ferocious than any living creature faces his greatest challenge in King Kong Escapes. For now, Kong meets his greatest foe, a duplicate King Kong created by an evil genius, built of indestructible super steel, 60 towering feet of invincible robot. King Kong, who can defy the might of modern artillery, tanks, missiles, the vast strength of prehistoric monsters, clashes with the Kong of Steel in the battle of the century in King Kong Escapes. All new, all thrilling, more fantastic than ever, King Kong Escapes. 
a Toho Company limited picture, universal release in Technicolor. With the swiftness of a deadly cosmic ray, the Earth is invaded by indestructible moon monsters. Their ghastly mission, death for all humans. Astounding technical developments are being made to protect mankind. Robot Monster brings you an actual preview of the devastating forces of our future. Unsuspected revelations of incredible horrors that will terrify you with their brutal reality. There is no escape from me. Very well. I will recalculate. Your death will be indescribable. Fool humans. There is no escape. did not end in a fiery nuclear holocaust as most surmised. Instead, it slowly rotted away like a tooth. In this bleak future, we follow the tales of the Covered Man, a super from the before times who tries to survive day by day in the aftermath of civilization. Along the way, he encounters gangs of mutants, otherworldly monsters, and things that live in the ruins of what was. David Conkle expertly weaves together stories of a dystopian world full of things that crawl in the night. Tales that will keep you turning the pages while keeping the bright light on. Tales of a Grim Future, Volume 1 by David Conkle. Now available for your Kindle and as a paperback. Read Tales of a Grim Future, Volume 1 for free if you're a member of the Kindle Unlimited program. Go to tinyurl.com slash coveredman for more information. That's tinyurl.com slash coveredman to pick up your copy of Tales of a Grim Future, Volume 1, from author David Conkle. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time for Dr. Tongue's 3D House of Vintage Monster Collectibles! Hello, all you MKR listeners out there in podcast land, and welcome back to another hopefully insightful segment about monster goodies with your lovable host, me, Dr. Tongue. We're reaching into your cranium, looking around, oh, there's one, and pulling out memories of things long forgotten. This time around, we're taking a trip to the, shh, library for a look at a few books that may or may not have triggered your monster obsession as a wee little one. I was book obsessed when I was a lad, and I was an avarice reader. I'm not sure what the heck happened to me, but I used to be. I was a regular buyer from the Scholastic Book Club, and man, I loved their monthly delivery of books right to you in the classroom. And I owned and read every book that had to do with monsters and monster movies at the time. Not to mention that monthly magazine, Dynamite, 
with the crazy 3D posters that were included, many of which were of classic monsters. And then there was that crazy going-ons of Count Morbida, the resident cartoon vampire. Ah, good times. In 1977, there was a series of books released unto elementary school kids everywhere that forever changed many of you for the better. Or not. I, of course, am talking about the Crestwood House series of monster books. Or as we used to like to call them, the Orange Monster books. In 77, six of the volumes came out. Dracula, Frankenstein, Godzilla, King Kong, Mad Scientists, and The Wolfman. For young monster kids at the time, it was mana from heaven. Great sets of pictures of your favorite old school monsters, lots of good information, and there were sometimes even factual. Sometimes. Need an example? The Godzilla volume perpetuated the myth that two endings existed for King Kong vs. Godzilla. The one where Kong wins, and the one where Godzilla wins. Today, we know that is not true. Crestwood, seeing that they had a good thing going, in 1982 released three more volumes. The Mummy, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. They followed those up in 1982 with The Blob, The Deadly Mantis, and It Came from Outer Space. Strangely, these last three were light on movie insight and more novelizations of the movies, using pictures from the movies as eye candy. The last three in the library didn't drop until 1987. The last three included The Invisible Man, Murders in the Rue Morgue, and Phantom of the Opera, making a total of 15 different books in the series over 10 years. These last nine volumes escaped me as I was in college by the time they came out. But man, I remember the original six, wearing them out as well as checking them out week after week from the school library. The Crestwood books were great and all, but my gateway into movie monsters, the one book that really made an impression on me as a troubled youth, was Dennis Gifford's The Pictural History of Horror Movies. Oh man, when I first laid eyes on that dust jacket painting montage of some of my favorite monsters, all gathered around the center face of Glenn Strange's Frankenstein, I was hooked. This beautiful book was published in 1973. I was nine and I begged my mom for a copy. She finally relented and the book was mine. There was no separating us. Well, until I discovered Famous Monsters of Filmland in 1974 a year later, but that's a different story. I even took the book to school with me and that's where my downfall began. I was in the fifth grade. It was show and tell. I, of course, brought my spiffy new shiny book to class to show it off. I thumbed through some of the more mundane pictures. There was Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman. How pedestrian. Then I flipped open to page 206. For those of you with copies of this book, or ones that have had it, you know the page. It was the picture from the 1966 version of The Black Cat one where an axe is buried into the head of a blonde woman and blood is running all down her face. Needless to say, I wasn't allowed to participate in show and tell without previously running by the teacher what I was going to present. I was in trouble. Even to this day, some 40 plus years later, I love thumbing through the book. 
And when I see that cover painting, I still get a flood of memories. Ah, the good old days. Now, Crestwood books have, within the last few years, skyrocketed in price, making some of them unobtainium for most budgets. You will still be able to find a stray volume here and there in various degrees of decomposition, but for nicer quality specimens, prepare to shell out some righteous bucks. Gifford's book has been reprinted many times, and you should be able to pick up a copy fairly cheap. Now, mind you, this comes with my highest recommendation. Now, it is getting into that time of year again where the good doctor is getting increasingly busy with quote-unquote business. It's Christmas, and I run a toy store. Go figure. So this will be my last segment until after the first of the year. So please, until we meet again, stay safe, wear your mask, keep your distance, and until next time, I'm out. Peace. After shock. After shock. After shock. Warning. After shock. The sexual transformation of a man into a woman will actually take place before your very eyes in Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. A man by day. A woman by night. The perfect disguise to indulge a lust for sex and violence. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An American International Pictures release in color rated PG. Was he a woman? Was she a man? Or, or were, were they it? both? beyond anything the screen has ever shown. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. On March 27, 1966, Japanese audiences got their first look at the 13th episode of Ultra Q called Garadama. The title refers to a type of meteorite discovered by a group of school-age boys who bring the space rock to the attention of one of their teachers. The instructor delivers it to Dr. Ichinotani for study. After transporting the good doctor to the crash site, Ipe and June join the search, just in time to witness a huge burning Garadama fall from the sky into a reservoir. The impact sends boats flying into the air, stranding their occupants on the surrounding hillsides. 
June and Ipe attempt to rescue two women in just such a vessel, but are shocked to observe the meteorites split apart, revealing a giant monster inside, who immediately goes on a rampage. Back in Tokyo, Yuriko and the scientists at the Research Institute unlock the secret of the original Garadama meteorite and its connection to the monster. But will it be too late to implement their discovery? Beautifully shot and breathlessly paced, Garadama is prime ultra-Q. Directed by Eiji Tsuburaya's son, Hajime, the episode introduces one of its most influential kaiju characters, Garamon. Although he is an all-out agent of destruction here, his bouncy walk and hangdog countenance made him a fan favorite, especially when he was recast as the human-sized pigman in Ultraman a year later. Also, that scientist who looks awfully familiar is Kotaro Tomeda, who played a Jet Jaguar controlling Cetopian agent in 1973's Godzilla vs. Megalon. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Punch, punch, punch! When modern Navy scientists defy the unknown mysteries of the past, perpetuated by centuries of native belief, then nature strikes in all its vengeance in Barath, the unbelievable. For generations, the legend was passed on. They said Baran was there, deep in the still waters. They said, let Baran sleep. That lake water's gonna be contaminated after we finish the tests. Probably affect the fish, too. We just can't take any chances. But those people have depended on their lake for their livelihood all their lives. And their parents before them. Anna, now should we be this concerned about a handful of people when we might perfect something that could benefit all mankind? Hmm? All right, Jim. commander would not heed their warning. He moved forward, ever searching, ever probing, deeper and deeper, until it was too late. Baran rose from the depths slowly, unrelentingly, to wreak its vengeance on a civilization that wanted to know too much. Tumultuous, terrifying. it will shock you to the core. Buran, the unbelievable. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again 
And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Dr. Tongue's I had that shop, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street, vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. Hey everybody, Monster Kid Radio is about to drop its 500th episode. Five zero, five zero, zero. you know what 500 is. 500 episodes of Monster Kid Radio, which means that by my math, we've been going for about 17 and a half years. No, seven years, seven and a 500 episodes. That's going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks. Now, some people have already called in and given me some congratulatory messages, and I appreciate that. means a lot, and I'll certainly play that during the 500th episode. However, if you haven't called in, I'd like to give you the opportunity to be part of the show. Specifically, I'd like to ask you to share with the rest of the Monster Kid Radio listeners what your favorite memories of the podcast are. Is there a particular episode that you really enjoyed? Did you discover a movie because of a discussion that happened on on Monster Kid Radio. Did you fervently disagree with a comment that was made on the show? I would love to hear all of your comments on Monster Kid Radio and specifically about the past 500 episodes. Now, episode 500 will be dropping on December 3rd. So I'm going to give you until, say, like December 1st to get your comments in. Please give us a call and leave a voicemail at 503 479 That's 503-4795-M. KR. Now, if you want to send an email, that's fine, too. I'll have one of the monsters in the machine read the email aloud for you. But if you do have an audio file, I think that makes it a little bit more fun. So you can always send a wave, an MP3, an AIFF, an MP4, an MP3U, smoke signals, telepathic, just whatever. If you send in a sound file, I think it's a little bit more fun to get different voices on the show. Thank you so much for helping to support Monster Kid Radio over the years and giving us the opportunity to hit 500 episodes. That's huge. I mean, that's something that I never expected to happen. I mean, even back when I started the show and I started doing episodes like twice a week so I can kind of bulk up the numbers artificially, you know, I just never thought that I'd hit episode 500 doing a podcast about movies that aren't being made anymore. I know there are people like Josh Kennedy and Chris Mim and all the others out there, Ansel Farage and a hundred others that I'm sure I'm forgetting about right now, but they aren't making any more classic monster movies. So you'd think I'd run out of content, but the bottom line is, is I haven't even hit halfway down the, you know, just the scraping the bottom and the monkeys and the, the reaching up. And then you're going to run out. You have half a dozen and then six in one hand. And then the chickens come home. I haven't hit nearly enough <laughs> bottom line. There are so many more movies and movie topics to talk about. I'm excited to bring back some old favorites. I'm excited to talk to some new friends on the podcast. I'm just excited for what the next 500 episodes is going to do for 500 episodes. Carry the one and that's going to be like what? 15, 25, uh, 75 years of podcasting at that point. Podcast years are kind of like dog years. They work a little differently, but yeah. Anyway, please call in. Let me know what you think about Monster Kid Radio, and we'll throw you in the mix. Again, December 1st is the deadline for the 500th episode comments. Thank you so much.
every drop of blood feels the freezing paralysis of fear, almost stopping your heart, as Edgar Allan Poe unfolds his tales of terror. You will meet the master of the mansion, who loved and protected his wife with the strength of a supernatural love, even beyond life itself. I am in command here. You will do as I say. I shall take what I desire. Your body and your soul, if I demand it. Help! Help! Then you'll enjoy the Black Cat's sardonically humorous tale. It all started at the Vintners' convention, where the lover of wine met the professional wine taster and introduced him to his wife, a darling who delighted in dalliance. What kind of a man are you anyway? Make love to my wife and doesn't even talk to me. You're insane. That may be, but very clever. In this monstrous mausoleum of the living, you will witness fury far worse than a woman scorned. The fury of a dead woman's jealousy. As up from the depths of prehistoric mystery rages, Virgo. The headlines of the world blaze the fabulous story of this monster from another age, catapulted from some vast sub-ocean cavern by unprecedented volcanic action. And the headlines scream the story of the reckless skin divers who captured the monster and put it on exhibition. Sam! Pull out! Drop the net! What do you think you're doing? Okay, take it easy. I can't let him go back to the sea where he belongs. Why? Maybe to save your silly skins for you. Hurry, hurry, hurry to see Gorgo. But the headlines do not record the story of a little boy who had a curious sympathy and understanding for the fantastic creature. What strange secret does he know that scientists only suspect? Are you trying to say there may be a fully grown one of these things around somewhere? How big would a full grown one be? An approximate guess. The infant? The adult. That will make it nearly 200 feet tall. Wreaking terrible vengeance against the civilization that has captured its offspring. Towering over the cities of the world as millions flee its awesome terror. Nothing can stop it. Defying the force of the army. The might of the Navy. Fire number one, Harry. Ready to open fire, sir. Fire one. Even the fury of the jets. In 
a crashing crescendo of sights never before beheld by human eyes and adventures never before experienced by any man or woman. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guests will be looking at kaiju movies. And if you want to know about kaiju and FM, check out my video on YouTube. The link will be in the show notes. For today, we are going to look at films covered in issue 30 from September of 1964. The cover featured an extreme close-up of Bela's Dracula, painted masterfully by Russ Jones. The first film featured was The Mask of the Red Death. English correspondent Peter Jarman takes us behind the scenes of this Roger Corman classic. Six pages and six photos were used to look at the making of the movie and interviews with various participants. Here is his first encounter with the film star, Vincent Price. I sensed a shadow approaching me as I stood on the edges of that awe-inspiring ballroom of the Red Death. I turned and was confronted by the wicked Prince Prospero himself. To my relief, the sinister expression dropped and changed into the friendly, smiling features of the cultured actor who is the real Vincent Price. Now famous as a master of menace, Price has actually played all manner of roles during his long and distinguished film and stage career. He's done about 90 films, of which around the Baker's Dozen, 13, have been in the horror category. Some of my new horror films have a sly sense of humor, smiled Price, and anyone who saw his brilliant performance of the wine expert in Pose the Black Cat, a segment of Tales of Terror, will know what he means. The other film covered was Hammer's third version of Mary Shelley's classic creature, The Evil of Frankenstein. The article is massive, with 16 pages and 20 photos. It begins with a recap of the first two Hammer Frankensteins, then presents the plot of the movie. The end is filled with various anecdotes and notes from the production. Here's a story about our favorite Dr. Frankenstein, Peter Cushing. Cold hands, warm heart. The young man lay breathing heavily, his pale face scarred by the crimson flow of a growing blotch of blood at his temple. His chest was bared and hawk-like hands hovered over it. One of them grasped a doctor's scalpel with a star-bright glint on its razor-sharp edge. The scalpel lowered to within half an inch of the flesh-covered ribs, then jerked back from the bloody jaw before it. No, no, I can't do it, Peter Cushing cried, shattering the eerie atmosphere. But it wasn't a line from his dialogue. My hands really are much too cold for this poor boy's warm chest, explained the tender-hearted star as he went to a radiator to warm them. Hands nicely heated, he returned shortly. The victim lay down on the hard, flat operating table, and again the scalpel scythed its way through the air and onto the scarcely moving chest. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. You are interrupting my work. Your work! The work of the devil! Hands. Please, Father, ah. you can't... No! evil of Frankenstein. The evil of a man 
who created a monster by crude surgery and harnessed the tempestuous forces of nature to give it life. The evil of Frankenstein unleashed a monster that terrorized a whole community. Peter Cushing as the Baron, and Peter Woodthorpe as the ruthless Professor Zoltan, who fought the Baron for control of the monster. Oh, he'll understand you, all right. He just won't obey you. That's all. Duncan Lamont as the Chief of Police. Katie Wilde and Sandorelles as two young people caught up in the evil of Frankenstein. Monster Kid Radio listeners, I am so excited whenever there's a new genre podcast launching because I feel like there needs to be more of them. The more classic monster stuff we can talk about in the potosphere, the better. Get more monster kids interested in this kind of stuff. And this week's guest is somebody who just launched a podcast of his own focusing on, well, giant monsters. It's called Record All Monsters. And the guy that I have with me this week is Robert Kelly. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Thank you, Derek. Hi, how you doing? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? (laughs) I'm all right. I, well, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I listened to your first episode and I am hooked. I can't wait to listen to future episodes. And we were talking just before we started recording that I didn't realize you put out like a little mini-sode already. So it's going to be something to check out later this afternoon. But your first episode is about King Kong, the birth yes, of giant right. monster cinema. I mean, come on. That's, that's right in my wheelhouse. I'm glad you listened and enjoyed it. I thought to begin this uh, podcast, Record All Monsters, that you know, I really wanted to look at the history of giant monster movies from the beginning, and it's really the only place to start is King Kong. King Kong really is kind of the uh, the father, the grandfather, the the instigator of all of this. It influenced Harryhausen, which in turn influenced Godzilla. And you talk a little bit about this in the podcast as well, just kind of looking at King Kong begat this, begat that, and so on. Kind of a, a bad parody of biblical genealogies. Right. Yeah. And we talk further down the line more about uh, the different creators involved. The next episode that we'll have out, I think the day after this releases, we're going to have an episode on Ray Harryhausen, Ray Bradbury, and the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Oh, wow, yes. And kind of explore their friendship and what led to the making of that movie. One of the things that I like about what you've done so far, and we only have the one episode to go off of, but I'm I'm guessing this is going to continue. You're not just reading the Internet Movie Database to me. You're not just going over what's on Wikipedia and calling it good. You're actually digging a little deeper than that and then adding your own personal observations and and why they're important to you, why these movies are important to you as well along the way. And that's one of my favorite things about people who podcast about movies or any kind of media is when they – don't just parrot back what I can find on the internet. They, they put their own spin on it and then talk about why it's important to them and the passion comes through. And so far, that's what you're doing, man. So no pressure about future episodes, but, <laughs> you know, you set the bar pretty high already. I'm hoping it continues. These movies are really important to me. They kind of help me, you know, find comfort with me being myself, you know, as a kid and a young man. It's just great to keep that going, to share that with other people and that's really my goal with record all monsters and trying to be more involved in general with the monster kid community with the kaiju community around the world and around where i am here in texas so 
you've been a fan of this kind of movie all your life then? Oh, all my life. When I was three years old, my family, we would only watch TV on the weekends. And so on Friday nights, we would go to rent movies at Hollywood Video. And I was three and I saw the cover for uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 1974. Mm. I just grabbed it off the shelf. I didn't know what Godzilla was. I was like, this is a dinosaur and a robot dinosaur. And I assume they're going to fight because this is what dinosaurs do in the mind of a three-year-old. And I watched it when I got home. Uh, I actually lost a coin toss, so I watched it the next morning without permission from my parents with the TV very low, with my face right against it. And from then on, I was just hooked. I watched every Godzilla movie they had at the video store. Uh, I even made my parents take us to the other video stores in town to see if they had different monster movies. I was three years old. I'm 28 now. It had been 25 years of just nonstop Godzilla monsters and horror movies. Just always going. That's awesome. I'm still a relative newcomer when it comes to the kaiju fandom. I, I talked about this on the show that I really didn't start getting into them until uh, Kyle Yount of the kaiju cast was hosting a yeah. screening of King Kong versus Godzilla. And then I was, I was hooked, man. I was, I've gone back and I've, I've watched them all. I've binge watched all the Godzilla movies and camera <laughs> and everything else I can get my hands on. And I just love them. And they're, they're a little different than the, the normal universal monster movies or hammer films or anything like that, but they're just as important and just as entertaining, sometimes more so. Yeah. It's funny. I have a memory tied to pretty much every Godzilla movie. So you bring up King Kong versus Godzilla. The memory I have with that one is I failed my driver's exam in high school. Oh, no. And I came home and was sad, so I watched King Kong versus Godzilla like three times in a row. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's something tied to each one of those movies. They're all so special to me. And Kyle Yount, the kaiju cast, that was a big influence, or inspiration, rather, on getting this started. It was something I wanted to do, especially after he stopped, I guess, a couple years ago. He retired the kaiju cast. Now, he's still doing things on YouTube. Collect All Monsters, the YouTube series, and a few other things here and there he's done. But yeah, the Kaiju cast is unfortunately no more, but it left its mark. It made its impression on me, and it sounds like on you and a number of other people. Oh, yeah. He did really good work. He was somebody that uh, every time I was a guest on his show, I'd learned something new about podcasting in general, and I do miss that. Yeah. You know, you talk about having these specific memories and watching this movie over and over and over again because you're sad. There is a certain amount of therapy that, that comes with these movies. I used to joke with people that, you know, if I was ever in a bad mood, all I had to do was watch a horror movie and see somebody having a much worse day than I am. <laughs> but it yes. really does go beyond that. There, There is a comfort to these things. It's like a hug. There's something special about it. There really is. For me, there's a big nostalgia factor to it, but the fact, I think, is a lot of these movies do hold up as pieces of entertainment. They hold up as, you know, a time capsule. They're just so fascinating to watch, even with a critical eye. Mm -hmm. There's so much that they offer and I just can't get enough of it. You mentioned the time capsule, uh, and that's, again, something I've talked about here on the show so many times, is that these are like mini sociological digs, archaeological digs, because you get to see a different time, and in some cases, a different culture, like with the kaiju films. I've never been to Japan. Right. I, don't, I don't know what it was like living in Japan, but I get to watch these movies, and I get to see kind of sort of what it was like living in Japan. I mean... Granted, there really weren't giant monsters destroying Tokyo every other week. But, you know, I get to see a little bit of that culture, too. And someday I do plan on visiting Japan. I'd love to get out there. And when I do, I probably am going to be a little disappointed if I don't see at least one giant monster somewhere. Yes, me too. <laughs>
Oh, man. Well, that's that's great, man. I have a feeling that you and I would have plenty to talk about. We've already started, but, you know, every episode of Monster Kid Radio, we do something to kind of get the conversation started or keep it going. We have a game that we play called The Classic Five. The Classic Five! I love this part of the show. You don't have to keep it to kaiju with me. I, I'm a well-rounded monster kid. Oh, okay. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play here on the show. I do have a literal deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to kind of get monster kids talking, use it as an icebreaker, use it as a way to pass the time. We're going to use it to get to know a little bit more about Robert Kelly. Are you ready to play a round of the Classic Five? I'm ready, Derek. All right, here we go. We're going to start by drawing something from the Kaiju deck, and then we'll dip into the rest of it. But uh, let's see here. What is your favorite flying kaiju oh geez so i guess the candidates would be rodan gamera and mothra and um was varan varan's in there varan is a good flying monster i love his design but i think i'm gonna go with gamera i just love gamera and the fact that he fly he's a turtle who flies that's so out there <laughs> you don't expect it i mean it's part of pop culture now Everyone who knows about Gamera knows he's a giant flying turtle, but if you watch that first movie, that is treated you know, as this huge reveal. And it's so much fun, and it's so wacky. And if you take a step back... Okay, <laughs> flying turtle. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at these things a little too critically, they all just start to break down on some levels. But yeah, flying turtle. Yeah. When it comes to Gamera, do you prefer the American release or the Japanese release? It really depends on my mood. When I'm like paying attention when I'm watching and like when I've written the essays for the Gamma movies I cover on this season of Record All Monsters, I've watched the Japanese version subtitled in English. But when I'm making dinner or just hanging out with friends, I'll put on the English releases because those have so much to pick at and it's just so much fun. Listen to that, listeners. This is how you can tell he's getting serious about podcasting. He's writing essays for seasons of the podcast. <laughs> I'm winging it barely maybe a week and a half in advance. He's like, oh, no, this is for this season later on. See, yeah, you're, you're one up on me already. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, card number two. This comes from the Monster Bash expansion deck. What's your favorite Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie? This is something I've actually given a lot of thought to in my lifetime just because that's how I am and who I am. Okay. But it is very narrowly the Friedrich March one over Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Mm, okay. Uh, the Friedrich March one wins out just because it's, it's the classic take. It kind of typifies how that story is told. And the reason Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde gets a special mention is because you don't expect something like that to work. But it does work. Oh, yeah, it does. It really does. So it's my answer on that one. There we go. All right. You're, you're passing so far. Like I said, there's no wrong <laughs> answer. That's fine. You're passing no matter what you say. Card number three. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to hang out with for a day? That's very easy. That's Peter Cushing's Van Helsing. Yeah? Just sit around with him. Let him tell me all the weird stuff there is to know about vampires and the undead and he seems to be a man of good taste as well. Whenever he's eating or drinking something, it looks to be the finest of whatever it's possible to be. So just <laughs> hang out with Van Helsing all day, drinking very expensive wine and talking about monsters. It sounds perfect to me. That does sound like a lot of fun. Which Van Helsing, though? Would it be from the first two Hammer films, the last two Hammer films that he was in? 
it would ideally be the one from Brides of Dracula because he okay. seems the most the most in step with himself. Like he's just super confident in that role as Van Helsing by that point, even though it's only the second time he's played him. He's got it all down. He seems a little more worldly in that one. Yes. I mean, it's the same character, but he does seem a little bit more of the world and a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, so, so are you a fan of Hammer Films then too? I'm a very big fan of Hammer Films. Actually, I've been having a hard time getting a hold of them until recently. They're coming out on Blu-ray, it seems like, every week now. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm having a hard time keeping up with which ones to get so that I don't go broke. I've got my eye on that Mill Creek set that just oh, came yeah. out. Yeah, and it's... Mm man I, I i do want that i do want that quite a bit all right well i'll pull a card from the hammer deck then here we go not counting the original what's your favorite hammer frankenstein film oh i do like revenge of frankenstein but i think i'll say frankenstein created woman because it gets into all that soul and metaphysical stuff no horror no horror stop it horror <laughs> the ultimate in evil, the absolute in terror from the Shockmasters, Frankenstein created woman in dripping, dripping color. Again, something you don't expect from a movie of this vintage and this style. Even though it kind of just touches the surface, it gets a lot deeper than you'd expect. Revenge of Frankenstein, I think, is my favorite sequel that Hammer mm-hmm. uh, of that series, but. Man, as I've been running that card by people, everybody says Frankenstein created woman, and I really do like that one, too. <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's really it good. really is. All right. Final card. I'm going to go back to the kaiju deck just to kind of get us All back right. on track with what we're doing here. We've had Mechagodzilla and Mechanicong. What other kaiju would you like to see a robotic version of? I think the most interesting to me would probably be a Mecha Anguirus. Oh, Okay. Angiris is one of my favorite kaiju. I love the simplicity of him. I'm a real sucker for these uh, these real basic kaiju, like Angiris and Varan and Baragon, like these just angry giant dinosaurs. I love them. And I think a Mecha Angiris would be so cool because... You've got the bipedal stance, you've got the quadrupedal stance, you've got the spikes and everything. Just to see what they could do with him as a robot, I just think that'd be neat. I like that answer a lot, and I'm just imagining that, how he would look with the spikes on the back and everything. That would be kind of cool. I like it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So somebody out there needs to figure out a way to get Toho to make (laughs) a Mecha (laughs) Angaris, an Angaris android, I don't know, something. Some sort of little robotic fingers monster for us. Well, that was the classic five. I think you passed. Uh, you win uh, this round, and your prize is that you get to be on Monster Kid Radio this week. All I've ever wanted, as long as I've known that Monster Kid Radio was a thing. Well, let, let's not get so. too carried away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what I wanted to talk about with you is uh, I, I know you talk about giant monsters on your podcast, and you're going to as you move forward, but... You know, I got to talk about giant monsters here. I got to talk about kaiju movies here. And we're going to do a top three episode. Listeners have already seen the show notes or the cover art. So you probably mm-hmm. already know what we're talking about. But yeah, what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about our top three favorite kaiju films. But there's a catch. These kaiju films do not feature Godzilla or Gamera. 
So it takes a whole bunch of them off the table, but there's still some pretty good ones out there. And I'm real eager to hear what you've picked uh, for your top three. We can do some honorable mentions as well as we go along. That's fine. But we'll do our top three and, and we'll go from there. And the way we do the top three episodes is uh, I, I usually kick it off with my number three choice and then I'll pass it back to you and back and forth. And I do it that way because I want to give you the, the final word with your number one. All right. You cool? All right. Cool with that. So for me, uh, looking at the top three, I've got three movies. Actually, I've got probably four movies that I've been kind of juggling back and forth, trying to decide what I'm going to place where. So now it is uh, time to finally make a decision. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am, too. I've got six sitting here in front of me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I've decided. I'm going to go for my number three pick, Frankenstein Conquers the World. Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror, a monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Spreading panic as millions flee his vengeance. Frankenstein towering over cities, defying the force of armies, the might of navies, and the fury of jets. Frankenstein, a name never equaled in the annals of terror. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein, incarnate. With the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, in color scope from American International Pictures. I am a huge fan of all things Frankenstein to begin with. And I really like this movie's particular take on Frankenstein's monster and just the origin of the monster, where it came from with the Frankenstein heart being smuggled over. I just love the setup. Uh, I love that the movie has Nick Adams, who is my guy. I love me some Nick Adams. Uh, (laughs) You know, he's right up there, right underneath John Agar. You know, if I could have gotten a buddy movie (laughs) with John Agar and Nick Adams together, man, that would have been perfect. That would have been something. That would have been great. And the Frankenstein design is unique. It's recognizable, but it's unique enough to be its own thing as well. And of course, you've got Subaraya doing the effects here. Honda's directing the music is stellar, as is all the music on all these movies usually. So, yeah, that would be my number three pick, Frankenstein Conquers the World. Uh, that's one of my favorites, and I actually hadn't seen it until this year when I was starting uh, this show. Oh, really? But, like, I'd, I'd read a copy of the script. I knew the movie inside and out, having not seen it and just seen clips. So having seen it, it was, you know, I didn't even think it would live up to my expectations, which had become quite lofty. And it was just excellent. It was wonderful. Nick Adams is a blessing on these movies. (laughs) Yeah, he is. My favorite thing about this one in particular is I think there's a way. So people, people are obsessed with continuity and crossovers and stuff. And I think there's a way we can make this movie an, an official crossover with the Godzilla movies. Okay. Because this movie with the Universal Monsters and the Godzilla movies, I should say. Because this Frankenstein is so clearly inspired by the universal design. We don't know what happened to the monster after World War II. Yeah. uh, (laughs) It's just a fun little headcanon I have. And when the monster does grow, uh, you see he has got scars on his neck, as if maybe some neck bolts were there at some point. I love this movie so much. And actually, when I got the cover art for my podcast made, my, my friend, the artist Nathaniel Ross Smith, he put 
the Frankenstein conquers the world Frankenstein monster on the back kind of hiding behind King Kong. I love this movie. Uh, my number three pick mm-hmm. is going to be Super Inframan. <gasps> oh, man. Now there's another <laughs> one I should have put on my list. I didn't even think about that one. At last, science fiction creates the ultimate man, Inframan. And a motion picture creates the ultimate spectacle. Adventure beyond your wildest imagination with the man beyond bionics. Six million light years beyond believability. Is he man or machine? Electronic circuits integrated with living cells in the living body of a man. Now, Joseph Brenner brings you the most advanced product of bionic science, towering above them all. I considered leaving it off because it's not a Japanese movie, but then you showed me the cover art and I saw Yongari on there. And I was like, okay, so we're doing the whole... The whole thing, man. <laughs> the whole thing. So Super Inframan made it onto my list. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a common Rider Ultraman ripoff that was made by the Shaw Brothers in like 1973 or four. It takes all those tropes of the tokusatsu TV shows and distills them into an hour and a half of absolute madness. The villain's name is Princess Dragon Mom. Right. <laughs> and my favorite thing of all in the whole movie is this scene where everything just stops as he gets an equipment upgrade. And the scientist who created him tells Super Inframan, to ensure success, it is essential that you have Thunderball fists. And Super Inframan stops, and he looks at him, and he says, knowingly, Thunderball fists? You mean, I can have such a thing? Like, this is an established thing in the world that we all want, and it's just, it encapsulates the movie perfectly. I put this on at parties. I've made people watch it at my birthday party numerous times, and it converts people every time to giant monster movies. I know that I've talked about this here on the show years ago, years ago, and it's one that I do come back to. Uh, The movie itself is a trip, and I think I picked it up on Blu-ray at some point, and now I feel like I need to go put it back in because I didn't even think about this one when we were talking (laughs) about doing this. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I included Yungari in in there, you know, and, and all the others, but I didn't even think about going over here to the Shaw Brothers and Inframan. I love Inframan, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's so much fun. It's so great. I love that movie, and uh, I can watch it anytime. I don't even need to be in the right mood for that one. Someone says, hey, Super Inframan's on in the other room. I'm there, and I'll be there until it's over. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing about a lot of these movies, right? Anytime I do a top three list with anybody about anything, these movies, the one thing they have in common is that if I'm flipping through channels or I even just hear it in the background, everything stops. <laughs> I have to go see where it's playing, and I have to watch it to the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love like the little skeleton ghost warriors. You know, oh, from so I would love just a, an army of those as action figures to put all over my desk. That, that would be neat. Oh man. My wife and I, we have a bunch of our action figures displayed around our TV. So on, on the shelves with our DVD collection. Mm-hmm. Now that you brought that up, I just keep thinking of how great it would be to have those little guys scattered throughout the whole, <laughs> the whole set. <laughs> right. All right, all right. I'm going to go to my number two, and I'm going to bring it back to Toho, because really, when you think kaiju movies, you think Toho. You just can't get away from it. Toho, birthplace of Godzilla, and so many other movies, including my number two. I love Rodan. 
screams, the whole earth quivers and quakes, and an abyss of horror opens up. See these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years. Nothing escapes this monstrous beast of evil. The original Rodan, I am a huge fan of. It is scary where it needs to be scary. It is awe-inspiring where it needs to be awe-inspiring. Once again, you've got Honda directing. You've got some amazing music. And it's one of these earlier films in the Toho Kaiju cycle, I guess, Mm -hmm. that still tries to be scary and, and pull it off. And I, and I think you can agree with me that as the Godzilla movies continue, they do get a little bit more uh, comical or safer or, or less intense. But if you go back and you watch the original Godzilla or the original Rodan, it's terrifying. Some of the things that are happening in Rodan, very Lovecraftian, very yes. spooky. The stuff in the cave in particular. Yes. It is terrifying. Now I know Rodan shows up later in a lot of the other Godzilla movies and they do kind of change the costume design a little bit and he's a little less intense but I'll tell you, even though it might not really count when it comes to kaiju movies, when I saw Godzilla King of the Monsters just recently in the theater a couple years back, when Rodan showed up I know he's just a big CGI thing I cheered. I was like, yes! Oh, yeah. That was that was something. Well, so, they, they pulled it off. They mm-hmm. pulled that off so well and Michael Doherty, the director of that clearly just loves these movies and these characters and he gives them so much respect uh and rodan that movie that character is so great i've said before that it's almost like if hp lovecraft tried to write a gothic romance it would be something like rodan Uh, (laughs) yeah the the monsters are just shrouded in shadow and mystery the whole time and they kind of play the hand at the end that oh this is a family and there, there's emotion and connection between these monsters when the one is refusing to leave the other. I think it's brilliant. To me, I feel like it's almost Honda's best work as a director with these movies. It's either this or the original Godzilla, because he just packs so much emotion into the story about giant monsters without losing focus. It's just remarkable. Rodan is amazing. And it looks great. I mean, it's the first kaiju film that they did in color, and they really took advantage of the color, but still kept the shadows going when they were dealing with, like, the mega neurons yeah. and everything. I mean, they really knew what they were doing with the cinematography. It's it's a brilliant film. It's a really, uh, beautiful film to watch. I'm going to say that again. It's a beautiful film to watch. If nothing else, it just looks gorgeous. Rodan is a great pick, and... Derek, that's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, well, what did you pick for number two? For my number two, so I'm still not back in Japan. Okay. I'll, I'll get there. Okay, that's fine. With my number one. But we're, we're hopping over to England for Conga on this one. Oh, yeah. I almost put Conga on my list. Conga. Not since King Kong has the screen exploded with such mighty fury. Defying bullets, bombs, rockets, standing 100 feet tall sending an entire civilization into panic. Conga, in color and spectimation. I know it's going to sound to some people here that I, I like these movies ironically because I keep using words like ridiculous and fun and far out, but those are all high qualities to me. That's not ironic. If a movie can do that, it sincerely has my heart. 
And this is a movie that's like that. It's wonderful. It makes me so happy to watch this movie. Michael Goff is just having the time of his life. I just can't (laughs) get enough of this movie. It's another one that I show to people. They just stop. And they're like, okay, this is a real movie. Okay, we're watching this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these movies... In the top threes, whenever I do a top three episode, these are the movies that I would use to kind of define who we are. You know, if we're trying to introduce ourselves, folks who don't know us just through the movies, it's these movies. And you saying that Conga's right up there for that helps me get to know you even better, you know, because of the kind of movie it is, knowing what kind of sensibility is required to enjoy it the way that you do clearly. And I love it too. So I'm right there with you, man. And I think uh, the couple interesting trivia bits about it. First of all, there was a Charlton comic mm-hmm. that ran in the right after the release of the movie. That I think eight or nine issues were drawn by Steve Ditko, the Marvel guy who did Spider-Man and the Hulk. Uh, and the other thing is that the gorilla suit in this movie is the same one that was used in Robot Monster, <laughs> which is another movie that I love. Unironically, I love yes. it. So it's another wonderful movie that. Words can't describe the joy these movies bring me. I'm so thrilled (laughs) whenever I see Conga. A a friend of mine was saying, I was talking about it to him at work, and he texted me that it was on Turner Classic Movies a couple of months ago. And he's just like, you were right. This movie is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you mentioned you were going to go to England, I thought you were going to talk about Gorgo, which is another really great film. But I feel like Conga doesn't get enough attention. It's an underrated film when it comes to the English kaiju cousins, I guess, or whatever you'd call them. Right. Uh, Michael Goff is just a delight to watch. And I know a lot of people sometimes will say he's too much. He's over the top. He's chewing up the scenery, but that's what we love about him in these that's, movies. Yes, exactly. And it's exactly what's called for in these movies. Right. He's, he's so good. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I, I would let him chew as much scenery as he wants. I mean, he's earned it. Yeah. He can be sinister when he needs to be, like Horrors of the Black Museum. He is Mm -hmm. evil. But if he needs to be over the top, like in this or, you know, these other movies where he's just way over the top, it it works. It it never feels out of place for me. Conga's a great pick. Thank you. Great pick. (laughs) So before we hit our number ones, I thought maybe we'd, we'd talk about some honorable mentions first. And I can't do a top three lists like this or a list of favorite non-Godzilla, non-Gamera, non-Big G kaiju films without thinking about Varan the Unbelievable. And yes, I did say Varan the Unbelievable. I weirdly enjoy the American version of Varan, and I know it's not handled nearly as deftly as Gamera or Godzilla's Americanization. I know that really feels kind of crammed in the American, the U S shot footage and the mm-hmm. story and all that. But as somebody who used to think he'd be a filmmaker when he grew up, everybody take a shot. Um, <laughs> I respect that. And I, I kind of feel almost inspired by that. The way this was kind of done to try to force a different kind of story into what was provided to them by Japan. The DIY seems show so much mm-hmm. in it. And Varan doesn't get to do as much as he gets to do in the Japanese release. And and I know that, but there's just something about the American release of Varan the Unbelievable that, again, gets me to stop everything I'm doing to sit down and watch. So that's yeah. on my honorable mention list. That, that's probably the only one I'm going to put on my honorable mention list today. 
Uh, I've got two on my honorable okay. mention list, but uh, I just want to say with Veron the Unbelievable, I enjoy it too. I enjoy both versions. I think neither one is as good as it could have been, but both versions of the movie are testaments to thinking on your feet and do it yourself because nothing went right on the Japanese end of production. They had American co-producers who pulled out mm-hmm. and they had to switch it from a TV movie to a theatrical release. And the fact that they pulled a movie that entertaining together at all out of all that mess is great. And you get the same kind of feeling of we're doing it from the American version. I mean, the, the performers aren't nearly as strong as say like Brian Donlevy or um, yeah. Raymond Burr, but still. It's right. still enjoyable for me. So that's my honorable mention. You said you got two? I do have two. Okay. One of them is Gorgo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> which we just talked about. I love Gorgo. I actually watched it this morning just for fun. And then my other honorable mention is King Kong Escapes. Man, that probably ought to be in my honorable mention too. Actually, now that I think about it. I love King Kong Escapes. I, I love that movie so much. The first time I saw it was actually on Sven years ago. Nice. I was sick. I wasn't feeling great. I had been at a, a birthday party for a younger friend, who, and I didn't even want to be there. And I was like, look, I have to go. And I didn't tell them that the reason I had to go was because, even though I was sick, the real reason I had to go was to get home in time for Sven to watch King Kong Escapes. <laughs> Priorities, man. Yeah. Priorities. And I just had a blast sitting there no, oh, watching I'm sorry. it. Will your friend be listening to this? Probably not. Okay, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I just had such a blast sitting. I, I didn't feel great. I had a fever. I was kind of in my own head, but I was just having so much fun watching that movie, just watching it all unfold. I love King Kong Escapes. I said earlier that my my first real introduction to these movies was through that Kyle Young introduced showing of King Kong versus Godzilla. And that's true. But I knew what the kaiju films were. I knew what Godzilla was and, and Rodan and Mothra and all those. I knew who they were. I knew who Gamera was through Mystery Science Theater 3000. Not that I'd watched a lot of them, but I knew what they were, you know. When I finally got to King Kong Escapes, because like I said, I did kind of binge watch them all after I got hooked on them again, thanks to Kyle. I started having some memories of it from watching at least parts of it at my grandparents' house when I was a kid, when I was a little kid. Uh, My grandparents lived in Arizona, and I must have been living, I think my family was in Montana at the time. My dad was military, so we moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. And every summer or so, we would go down to see my grandma and grandpa in Arizona. And, you know, it's a magical time to hang out with grandma and grandpa, that sort of thing. And just a lot of really happy, warm memories associated with that. And I have very vague memory of flipping through channels and seeing this giant robotic King Kong and not really knowing what it was other than I thought it was really cool. And I ended up watching the rest of it, but it's one of those memories that it was packed so far away that I never really thought about it as a monster movie. It was just one of those things that I associated with visiting my grandparents, not watching Kaiju film. So when I finally watched King Kong escapes, all those memories started to come back and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite movies, too, because of the memory associated with it. Well, that Mechanic Kong is cool. <laughs> Mechanic Kong is so cool. Really cool. And it's got a Doctor Who, sort of. Yes. Sort of. <laughs> I know it's a stretch. An- another stretch crossover. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> now I want to watch that movie again. 
That's the worst part about doing Monster Kid Radio. And if there's anything wrong with doing this podcast, the worst part is that by the time I'm done talking about a movie with somebody, I want to turn off the podcast and instead of starting to edit or do anything else that I need to do around here, I just want to unpack that movie and watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, that happens when, when I listen to the show too. I, I, I used to make a list, but it got to be too long every oh, no. episode. So many <laughs> movies come up. I'm like, I, I don't have time. <laughs> oh no. All right. Here I am with my number one. Okay. It is not Toho, okay. but it is Japanese. And, oh, Dominique, I'm so sorry. I know that we spent like half an hour of getting me to figure out how to pronounce this. I'm probably going to screw it up again. Shichiku? Shichoku? Shochi. The movie's The X from Outer Space. The X? <laughs> <laughs> and it's from Shochiku. that studio. Yes, it's from that studio. The fate of the world hinges upon the actions of Captain Sano and his crew. He has brought back a deadly secret from an unknown planet. Internationally renowned Eiji Okada plays the brilliant Dr. Kato. Lisa, our moon station. We'll go. We may find there the secret that will destroy Gilala. What was the mysterious substance he brought back from outer space that threatened to destroy the world? See atomic spaceship AAB Gamma face the terrors of the unknown. It's AAB Gamma, sir. AAB Gamma, the monster Gilala is still loose. Your cargo is our last hope, Captain. I first saw this when I picked up that box set from Criterion that had this and uh, okay, Body Snatcher from Hell and Living Skeleton and something else was on that set as well. Uh, That's the first time I saw it. And I was very surprised. I didn't realize at the time that studios other than Daie and Toho were making kaiju films in Japan. So this was a complete breath of fresh air for me, something I did not expect at all. And I know the studio only did the one kaiju film, mm-hmm. at least in that time. I think they, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> they made a sequel like yeah, 40 the, years later. But. That's what I was kind of thinking about. There was that sequel, which I don't like nearly as much. But there's just something about this one. I like the monster design. It's really unique. It feels like something more out of Ultraman than anything else, really. The yeah. kind of kind of bulkiness with the big legs and thighs and the way the head looks very uh, almost robotic in some ways in some shots of it. Uh, the monster, like Gulala. Uh, is that yeah. Was, yeah, I, I like that. Gulala. But there's something in this movie that just made it turn the corner for me. And it's when some of the characters are talking about maybe using a a nuclear weapon or an atomic weapon against the monster to stop it. And one character says to another with this real sober look on his face, no, we'll never do that again, or we'll never make that mistake again. And that moment of just sincerity and sadness over using weapons like that at all Mm -hmm. really made this movie hit home for me. Yeah, some of the outside sets look a little goofy and all that, but that moment just really made that movie special for me. So that's why it's my number one favorite kaiju film, not featuring any of the big Gs. That's a great pick. That's a movie that I think has a bad reputation, but it really, it's doing its own thing in the genre, and it's just so unique. And I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I think it's great. Someone I, I read somewhere described it as breakfast in, at Tiffany's in space, but a kid gets distracted and makes the rest of it about a giant monster. <laughs> 
I don't see a problem with that. I don't either. I don't I think see it's, that's bad. <laughs> it's really enjoyable. And just <laughs> the sincerity is such a, an important point that you bring up. And I think that's kind of the thread. It's kind of the heartbeat of this whole genre. Because even with a movie like The X from Outer Space, which was made to be like, I guess this monster movie thing is here to stay. I, we should try our hand at it. They made this achingly sincere film. Again, it's joyful and it's sincere. And how can you be mad at that? <laughs> right. Uh, the sequel you mentioned uh, came out in 2008 and it, it's played for laughs. It's a comedy. And I wonder if some of that kind of got rubbed off on the original as well. When you kind of look back at that monster and, and what that movie really can do. Uh, and I also love that when you look up the credits of this movie, it's sponsored by Watanabe Confectionery, <laughs> which is a real, you know, bakery candy thing in in Japan, and apparently they're still around. So somehow they were involved in the production of the movie, and they got credit for it in the film credits. I love that. Well, maybe that's why they defeat the monster with whipped cream. Hey, there you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so that's my number one. What 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 do you got there? Can you top that? My number one. It's a little bit. Basic, maybe, but it's Mothra. A remote Pacific island where an expedition of world-famous scientists investigate incredible rumors of its fantastic mysteries and discover barren volcanic mountains surrounding strange green valleys. Mammoth caves that breed giant mutations. Vampire plants that devour humans. But most astounding of all, the tiniest women in all creation. Sacred beauties of a lost tribe which worships a monstrous creature. I am a huge fan of fairy tales and folklore, and the fact that it brings this fairy tale element into the kaiju genre is just beautiful. It's just so beautiful. It's kind of a similar story to Gorgo and King Kong, but because Mothra is basically this deity and it's, we bring the whole problem of Mothra upon ourselves. Mothra is a force for good. We have to admit that we are wrong in this situation as humanity. To me, it's really what the genre is all about. There's that joyfulness and that sincerity and this need to look inward to improve the world around us. Mothra's what it's all about. Mothra kind of stands aside from a lot of the other kaiju films of its contemporaries because it's not a lizard. You know, it's not reptilian at all. All these kaiju movies, these giant monsters, they're all reptilian. They're lizards. They have scales. Even if they fly, they're they're reptilian. Mothra's a giant moth, but it mm-hmm. holds its own, or she holds her own. I guess they do call it a he in a couple of the movies down the line. Yeah. But, uh, but Mothra, she holds her own against Rodan, Varan, Godzilla. It, it's an impressive look. It's colorful. It looks great. And I like some of the uh, the stories or the, uh, I don't know if it's an argument against or the attack on capitalism and, and de- mm-hmm. developing uh Areas that don't need to be developed for profit and that sort of thing in the first film as well. Uh, the music, that song, oh, the tribal yes. stuff with the drums. and oh, That's my favorite score of a kaiju movie, Yuji Koseki's Mothra score. Yeah. I'll love to Akira Ifukube, but I'll take Mothra's score by Koseki 
over any of his any day. I, I listen to it all the time on YouTube. I just pull it up and I'll listen to it when I go check the mail or when I'm driving to work. It's beautiful, beautiful music for a beautiful film. I love Akira Fukube a lot. But I can be honest and I can recognize that sometimes some of the music starts to sound a little samey. Mm-hmm. especially when he had lower or lesser and lesser time and or money to work on a score. It does start to get a little repetitive in times. Mothra, because it's not Fukube, because it's somebody else completely different, bringing a different sensibility to it, does stand out. And it's another thing about these, this movie that makes it se- special and separate. Yeah, that music is amazing. The Peanuts are amazing. <laughs> they are. They really are. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one, that's the one thing that I was missing in Godzilla King of the Mon- well. There's a lot I was missing in Godzilla King of the Monsters, but <laughs> that was something I was missing in Godzilla King of the Monsters is not having a set of twins. So it didn't have to be the Peanuts or anything. Just just a set of twins. Whenever Mothra was doing something, I was missing that. Yeah, and there there was a hint at it, uh, very subtle. But yeah, it could have if they'd made that more explicit. I think it would have been a nice little, more than a nice little nod to fans. Make it part of the blood of the movie. Yeah, it been nice. Yeah, I agree. There are so many great kaiju movies out there, though, and I, I wanted to restrict this to film because if I didn't, I would have gotten lost in Ultraman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy to get lost in Ultraman. <laughs> and, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm so glad that Mark Matsky's doing the Beta Capsule reviews here on the show because he can get lost in Ultraman for me. Because <laughs> I, would, I would really get lost, and I love Ultraman. I'm such a fan of all things Ultraman and the various kaiju that they have show up in there. I mentioned earlier my love for Veron the Unbelievable, the mm-hmm. DIYness of it. It's just fascinating to watch, especially earlier Ultraman, to see what other monster suit they modified this time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that's one monster. Well, it's just really Godzilla with a fin, but it's a different monster. Yeah. And... <laughs> And I appreciate seeing that kind of creativity, that forced creativity on screen. It's great. And I've been watching Ultra Q because I just got the Mill Creek set. Yes. And I'm I'm nearly done. I'm on the last disc. But that episode, I think he talked about it last, this past week was uh, I Saw a Bird. Mm -hmm. That touched all the things I love about the genre again are present in that episode. Yeah, I mentioned it on that episode. That's one of my favorite Ultra Q episodes. It's got everything you need. And yeah. I can't wait for him to get into Ultraman itself. And, and I hope he continues to do the beta capsule reviews long enough for him to actually hit Ultraman 80. Cause that's one of my favorite series of the whole batch. I know that's very far down the line. So Mark, I may have just tried to commit you to like another <laughs> 15 years of monster kid radio, but uh, you know, I love me some Ultraman 80. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I'm working my way through the whole ultra series. Right on. Yeah, I really need to have Mark on to talk about some of these movies at some point. And have you back on as well, of course, because this is a blast. But before we wrap up, you said that you brought something special to Monster Kid Radio. There's something that you did on your last episode, your first episode of your podcast, uh, a game that you ran your co-host through. I thought it was pretty clever. It was really cool. And when you said earlier, when before I hit record, that you wanted to do something similar here, I got really excited. You, you talk about being excited for the Classic Five. I'm stoked for this. What's the name of the game? This is a recurring game that we have on the show. And every episode of Record All Monsters with a little game. This is a, one of them. It's a recurring game called What's in a Name? And so what I've set up here is that the special Monster Kid radio edition of What's in a Game, I'll give you, Derek, the title of a giant monster movie in a foreign country. Uh Uh-oh. And your job 
is to let me know if that movie really was billed by that name in that country. Oh, boy. (laughs) I've just got three questions for you. There'll be no prizes or penalties since this is your show and I have no authority here. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. Oh, man. Now I'm suddenly very nervous. Um, Okay. Well, let's give it a go, man. Let's give it a go. I'm ready. Okay. First question. Was Frankenstein Conquers the World titled The Terror with an Ape Face in Germany? <laughs> if it wasn't, I want to read or watch that story. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking no, because Frankenstein, they latched on to the word Frankenstein after that for all of their giant monster movies for a long time. So I'm going to say no. Well, it was called uh, The Terror with an Ape Face in Germany. Ah. Uh. My source on these alternate titles is from John LeMay's big book of Japanese giant monster movies. If you want to appeal, you'll have to take it up with him. <laughs> hey, I, I believe you. Uh, John LeMay knows what he's talking about. I'm surprised by that, though. I'm surprised that they didn't just stick with a Frankenstein. Huh. Yeah. Terror with an ape face. To be fair to you, Derek, mm-hmm. it was Frankenstein, the terror with an ape face. Oh, so you're tricking me so, is what you're saying. It's a trick question. A little bit. It's, that's all right. They're all trick questions. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. That's true. The trick is getting them right. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm, so I'm sorry. That's all right. No, I'm down <laughs> one. I'm down one. Let's see if I can redeem myself here. What, what's number two? What's question number two? Number two was the band film Sampoti Sands' Six Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army released in the U.S. as Space Warriors 2000. No. That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) It was released as Space Warriors 2000 Ah! in the U.S. in the late 70s or early 80s. Oh, man. (laughs) The the film stars Sam's own superhero creation, Hanuman, based on the Hindu and Buddhist deity of the same name, and it is ridiculously violent, so much so that Subaraya has banned it. This is the guy, Sampoti Sands, who said that Eiji Tsuburaya's son signed all the ultra rights over to him in perpetuity forever outside Japan that was recently thrown out. <laughs> yeah, so, when, you, when you said banned film, I was like, well, I don't think a lot of them actually got released here in the States. So, but yeah, that whole Tsuburaya, oh, I'm so glad that's over with. At least I hope it stays over with. We're reaping the benefits of it being over, so I definitely hope for that reason and for the sake of the Subaraya family, it stays resolved. Yeah, agreed. Man, I didn't... Man, I'm, I'm striking out, man. Uh, okay, final question. Maybe I'll redeem myself for, for real this time. Last question. Was 1967's Yongari, Monster from the Deep, released in Italy as Gamera's Death Paw? <laughs> I love that title too. Um, Gamera's Death Paw. Oof. Sure. <laughs> Derek, you are remarkably consistent. No! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I made that up. Uh, but in Germany, Yongri was released as Godzilla's Death Paw. <laughs> All right, I'm going to kick you out. You're not, you're, you can't come back. You're done. No, no. That's. We, uh, In Germany, they called it Godzilla movie, huh? Yes. They huh. just labeled Yongari Godzilla, I guess, for marquee value. Huh. Next time I have you back on, I'll do better. 
I mean, I have no, I really have nowhere to go up from, but up here at this point. So, uh, on the episode we have coming out tomorrow, our guest is a, a, a musician and a friend of mine, and I quiz him not on trivia about the movie Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, but on trivia about various famous people named Ray. Oh no! Due to the involvement of Ray Harryhausen and Ray Bradbury, and he doesn't get a single one right. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't feel ashamed. <laughs> oh wow. It's your show. You can reverse the decision if you want. <laughs> uh, no. I'll just edit this whole section out. It'll be like, I'll just re-edit it to where I say yes and get it right. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, I really enjoyed what you did with the uh, first episode with the uh, Aping the Apes game that you did. It was asking the co-host or your guests if it really was a giant ape movie. Yeah, if it was an actual ape movie that existed or if I'd made it up or was Aping the Apes. Yeah. And I so, liked that a lot. And I see, I was getting ready for something like that. And you're like, nope, nope, giant monsters. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be different every time on your show? <laughs> yes, we have a different game every time. We have a recurring game, which is what we played here called What's in a Name, where I just ask if various international names for movies or monsters okay. are actually real or if I'm just pulling people's legs. Gotcha. And how often will the show come out? Is it a weekly, a bi-weekly, monthly? Uh, Record All Monsters is going to be a bi-weekly uh, series for the time being. So every other Friday, uh, I have it based on my pay schedule from work. It's the days I don't get paid it comes out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I remember. I don't know how helpful that'll be to, to the, the audience here. But the next episode is on November 27th. And there'll be an occasional mini-sode every now and then, uh, just when there's a movie that's not directly within the line of giant monster movies, but has an outside influence, or a TV show or something like that, uh, we'll have a little mini-sode every now and then. Right on, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course. Uh, you're over on Anchor, yes, the, the podcast host, but you can get it pretty much anywhere, as long as you are able to listen to a podcast. You can listen to record all monsters. Like I said, there'll be a link in the show notes and listeners. When you're done listening to this, go back, listen to episode one for King Kong and the birth of giant monsters, and then tune in the following day for episode two, uh, to hear about a couple of rays. Yep. Oh, and I guess in there too, there's the, the lost world mini. So that's like five minutes of your time. So go listen to that too. Yes, please do take it, take it from Derek and from me. Uh, you can probably trust him more than me since it's not <laughs> well i'll tell you this i'll tell you this it's got the monster kid radio seal of approval for whatever that's worth i really Beautiful. enjoyed it and i can't wait to see where you go with the podcast uh and i can't remember if we were recording beforehand or not when you invited me to be on your show but it would be an honor to be on your show man great i'm so happy that you'd be there i'd be honored as well for you to come on and uh we'll we'll iron out the details when we get a little closer to to that date but that sounds uh, good to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, of thank course. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to let listeners know about your show before we sign off? Uh, just real quick, we're on Instagram at monster.recordallmonsters.pod. We're on Twitter at monstersrecord. We have a Facebook page. Just look up Record All Monsters Podcast. We're on most of the podcasting apps, like Derek said. And if you want to email us, you can do that. Our email address is recordallmonsterspod at gmail.com. There you go. Listeners, you've got no excuse now. He just told you how to listen to it. Go check it out. Robert, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you being able to swoop in here and get in before the 500th episode. 
can't think of a better way to go into the next 500 episodes by, by having a new guy on the show and a new voice and making a new friend. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Derek. I'm just thrilled to be here and I, I hope to be able to come on again. And I'm looking forward to your next 500. This is the last episode before we cross over into that 500 episode territory. 500 plus? Is there a name for that? Is, I know 100 is a century or centennial. Anyway, thank you for sticking around. I really appreciate you guys and gals being here and supporting the show, downloading the show. Please share the show with anybody you think might be interested in this kind of content. If you're on Facebook, please share the posts. If you're on Twitter, please consider retweeting the tweets or maybe even share the YouTube video because there is a YouTube version of every episode of the podcast over on our YouTube channel. Just look up Monster Kid Radio. Also, if you are on YouTube, or even if you're not, just head over there to check this out. I just released the first of what I hope will be a regular series of YouTube videos over on the Monster Kid Radio on YouTube YouTube channel. It's a new series called Creature Feature Facts. It'll, it's only about seven minutes, so, you know, it's worth your time to go hear me ramble on and on and on about Creature from the Black Lagoon. So please go check that out. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that, as well as everything else that we talked about here on the show, the Record All Monstrous podcast, the YouTube video that Kenny put together spotlighting kaiju films in Famous Monsters of Filmland, that John LeMay book that Robert mentioned in his conversation with us, Dr. Tung Store, Mark Matsky's other online projects. It's all right there over at monsterkidradio.net. You can also find links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group and our Twitter, as well as our Patreon and pretty much everything else that you can think of when it comes to Monster Kid Radio. That's your home base. Monsterkidradio.net is where it's all at. So next week, it's episode 500. I've received a handful of phone calls already, and I really appreciate that. I'll make sure that I play you next week on the show. But as I said earlier in this episode, if you have any specific memories or comments or thoughts or messages about the previous 499 episodes of Monster Kid Radio, any favorite episodes, any memories regarding any of the movies that we've talked about, favorite guests, anything like that. I'd love to include you in the mix. I'd love to include that message in next week's show. Please consider getting that out to us by December 1st. You can call it in or email it to us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And the voicemail line is 503-479-5657. So 503-4795-MKR. I appreciate all of the support. And hey, here in the States, it's Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for everybody for supporting the show and giving me the ability just keeping this thing going it means so much to me to know that you guys and gals dig what i do and i dig every one of you so i hope that uh, the next 500 episodes of the podcast or so i'm giving you more and more content more and more monster love and you keep coming back starting with next week's show in between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Sharks Hate Jazz. That is copyright 2020, Adios Beaches. It's from their Adios Beaches demo album, which you can pick up right now. Name your price to buy the digital album at adiosbeaches.bandcamp.com. Check them out or look them up on Facebook and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs>